This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. This year, I'm planning to go to Africa. It is the 400th anniversary or commemoration of the first enslaved people, those 20-some-odd Negroes that landed here in 1619 in Jamestown, Virginia. And there's been a lot of thought, um, some a thought that I never thought I would have about what it might be like to live somewhere other than the United States of America. I've never in my entire life imagined that that was even a possibility, but slowly it's creeping in, and I'm thinking I'm excited to, to see what other lands look like you know it's a huge continent it's got a lot of countries there's a lot of culture i don't know what i'm gonna feel when i get there but it's making me think especially as every day i'm confronted with these stories from a tatiana jefferson botham john uh alton sterling philando castile trayvon martin tamir rice sandra bland like i can go on and as you realize that your the value of your life and the value of your contributions is through a lens that people can't quite see you that that you're constantly having to prove yourself not to yourself but to the people around you who hold the purse strings many of them that you're constantly having to validate your your intellect and and your personhood to people who just seem to lack all manner of humanity and it just makes it difficult every day that you know you live in a world where people could cast a vote for Boris Johnson that people could support Boris Johnson and cast a vote for Donald Trump it's weird but not weird and it is given rise to a lot of thought about what is my place here in America what is my place how, how am I tolerated so I'm reading The Fire Next Time, which you guys know that I'm reading James Baldwin's great seminary work, The Fire Next Time. And, and he talks about a meeting with Elijah Muhammad. And actually, he's, he's um, at the place that I am in the book. He's at dinner with Elijah Muhammad. And then there's discussion around the table as the men sit on one side and the women sit on another. And I, I know I'm going to do a podcast about that separation because, it you know, while there is a, a definite attraction to the dignity and the respect and the way in which men treat women, et cetera, the separation um, bothers me. And actually, I'm going to take a minute right here because I was thinking as Baldwin is sitting at the basically ostensibly the big person's table and the women over there having their conversation, what if the women had ideas that could spark, because again, it's the friction of ideas that create excellence. It's the friction of ideas, the bouncing off of ideas that create, that creates actually the next thing. You don't have creation in and of yourself. Even the Big Bang needed a catalyst. And if the catalyst was sitting at a table where she couldn't express herself because of the mores and the culture of that particular uh, religion, then are the men as powerful as they could be if they're not open to having discourse for whatever reason with brilliant minds on that other table, at that other table? So anyway, I digress. I'm, I may do a whole podcast on that. Or maybe that's it. But you can, you know, hit me up on Twitter and let me know what you think about that. But as James Baldwin is sitting at this table, at the big man's table with Elijah Muhammad, there's discussion about America and and I think it is um, Elijah Muhammad 
so I'm going to read. So Baldwin writes, and I looked again at the young faces around the table, and I looked back at Elijah, who was saying that no people in history had ever been respected who had not owned their own land. And the table said, yes, that's right. You know, there's a lot of call and response. And, and Baldwin writes, I could not deny the truth of this statement, for everyone else has, is, a nation with a specific location and a flag. Even these days, and this book was written in the 60s, maybe the, yeah, in the 60s, the Jew. It is only the so-called uh, American Negro who remains trapped, disinherited, and despised in a nation that has kept him in bondage for nearly 400 years and is still unable to recognize him as a human being. And the black Muslims, along with many people who are not Muslims, no longer wish for a recognition so grudging and should it ever be achieved, so tardy. Again, it cannot be denied that this point of view is abundantly justified by American Negro history. And Baldwin goes on to write, it is galling indeed to have stood so long, hat in hand, waiting for Americans to grow up enough to realize that you do not threaten them. On the other hand, how is the American Negro now to form himself into a separate nation? For this, and not only from the Muslim's point of view, would seem to be his only hope of not perishing in the American backwater and being entirely and forever forgotten, as though he had never existed at all and his travail had been for nothing. Elijah's intensity and the bitter isolation and disaffection of these young men and the despair of the streets outside had caused me to glimpse dimly what may now seem to be a fantasy, although in an age so fantastical, I would hesitate to say precisely what a fantasy is. Let us say that the Muslims were to achieve the possession of the six or seven states that they claim are owed to Negroes by the United States as back payment for slave labor. Let me pause here. Land is owed to black people. Reparations are owed to descendants of enslaved people, period, full stop. I do not believe that it's going to happen. But in that knowledge that it, it is owed is validation in many ways for me. This is not Bond, this is Karen talking. Knowing that it's old and that so many of us have, in spite of not getting what was deserved, and in spite of starting this race outside of the playing field while others started on third base, and to lap these mother freakers and to be sitting in seats of power and to be sitting with the wealth of the Robert Smiths and the Tyler Perrys and the Oprah Winfrey's and the others out there that are murdering the game, in spite of, tells me that we can't be stopped. So yeah, I still pursue the, the reparations owed. And I'll say it again, while, while, while they suss out all of the details about it, let's continue to win. Because when, that rep, when the reparations come around in whatever form, whether it's monetary or land or, or no taxes or what have you, let us be prepared to take full benefit of everything that is given to us. I have been... Um, in the past, I don't know if you have been, but I've been broke. <laughs> I've been broke. And the funny thing about being broke, and so as a writer, like there was a period in my career where you would, you know, you'd have a book deal, right? And you might got, get your advance. And, and I wasn't working anyplace else at the time or, or maybe doing contract work. So you get, you get the book deal, you, you submit your book, and then you have to wait 
for the upon delivery, right? And it's supposed to come within like a couple of weeks, but publishers take their time and they have their own schedules. And I had to wait once, it was something like two months. Now, here's the problem with being broke. You tend to bet on the come. So you may spend money or pay bills or not pay bills based on money that you know is owed to you, that you know is coming, but you live your life as if that money's coming when it's supposed to come. And if you've ever been broke, it's almost Murphy's law that that money never comes when it's supposed to. It's always going to be late because you need it. When you don't need money, money checks seem to just be coming. You go to the bank, go to the um, post office, or you go to your mailbox, and there's a check you weren't even expecting. You don't even know where it came from. Where is this check coming from? I don't need the money. Need the money? Check won't come. So I've, I've been in that position and I feel like, you know, when the money does come, you're basically pouring that good money into a black hole because you have so put yourself behind the eight ball waiting for that money to come. Maybe you paid bills or spent money based on thinking that was going to come that when the check does come, it's like Miss Pat is like whoop and it just all goes and you're right back to being broke. I don't know if anybody else has experienced that, but I have. So I feel like waiting on reparations is like being broke and waiting for somebody to do something that you know that they're supposed to do it and you know it's deserved and you know that it's supposed to happen, but it never happens when, it, when you need it to. But if you work as if it's not going to happen, but you still work to make it happen, when it does happen, not only will you be ready for it, but you'll be able to take advantage of it. And that's just, that's my message. Not that we don't desire reparations, because we do. And not that, even though I don't think that this country, because power never gives up power without being forced to, are you going to force this power to give it up, is the other question. That's probably for another podcast. All right, let me get back to Baldwin. So he's in the room, he's, he's having this discussion about the, you know, the, the six or seven states that the, the Nation of Islam believe should be theirs and what to do and this back payment. And um, Baldwin writes, clearly the United States would never surrender this territory on any terms, whatever, unless it found it impossible for whatever reason to hold it. Unless, that is, the United States were to be reduced as a world power exactly the way and at the same degree of speed that England has been forced to relinquish her empire. Please do some research on this. If you think in, uh, Great Britain gave up Hong Kong and, and, and a whole host of other territory, including um, what became Israel, Palestine, and other places because they were magnanimous and because it was time for those people to get their freedom, you would be sorely mistaken. England had to because England was broken and broken, busted, and disgusted. And when you're broke, busted, and disgusted, you have to give up some things. Louisiana territory was given up not because um, (laughs) France and Napoleon and them were just wonderful people. No, it was given up because they just got their ass handed to them by Toussaint Louverture and the Great Haitian Revolution, and they didn't have any more fight in them to hold it. So America got Louisiana and that whole entire territory because the Haitians did what they did to France. See, only in weakness can people be exploited. Mm, I don't know what I'm saying right now. I do know what I'm saying. Please read between the lines. Um, oh, but you're listening. Mm, study. So he goes on, Baldwin does, in the fire next time to talk about all the different places uh, that that could happen. And then somewhere in here he talks about Russia. Y'all should probably read this book. It's interesting. But what I want to talk about right now is this notion of separate. 
I've been pondering this for a while, this notion of leaving. Um, and what does that look like? And I think many of us haven't actually done the real work to explore that journey, to even have uh, a separate nation. There was a group of Aryan white supremacists who wanted to have uh, North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and one other state as their own, a whites only nation. And I'm like, y'all got everything. You want a whites only? Most of the, the, the towns in this country are whites only. Like what the hell? We're, we're looking at Chicago right now. There's a, a strike, a teacher strike, but that's really about white people segregating themselves and not wanting to be a part of that. And instead of folks saying, okay, go ahead, but you can't have any of our wonderful um, gifts. You can't have any of our wonderful work. Go ahead, make your own nation. See if you don't have to come crawling back here for food, clothing, shelter, and entertainment. That's how I feel about it. I wish that we would, those from the global majority, walk into our purpose and power, throw off the yoke of dependency, and start to build the world we want to live in, right where we are, neighborhood by neighborhood, street by street. Because as I, as I look out on the Washington Mall, and I know that that was not only architecturally designed, but physically brick by brick built by black enslaved people, I recognize the awesome craftsmanship, ingenuity, and power. I know that we can do better in our neighborhoods. I know that. And we have been conditioned and trained to be dependent. That's the real slavery that we somehow need reparations. Yes, it's old, it's due. But you get what you, you get what's deserve it from a position of power, not weakness. So that's my message today. Let me know what you think. Follow me on Twitter at Karen Hunter. Oh, check out my YouTube channel, Karen Hunter Show. Uh, on Twitter, use the hashtag podcast uh, when you're commenting so I can search for it. And uh, share this podcast with 10 people who aren't familiar with Karen Hunter, the Karen Hunter Show, etc. All right. I appreciate you immensely. And I thank you for joining me on this journey. This is just the beginning, actually, at the precipice of something. And I'm really excited about where we're going to end up. Till next time.